If you're a valued customer, you deserve a simple gesture of appreciation from your credit card company. And that's why Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. This week, I am so excited to have one of my favorite humans on earth, Hunter Woodhall. He is a Paralympic athlete for track and field. It is about to go down. Cue the show. Welcome to the show, Hunter. Thanks so for glad me. to have you. I'm, I'm, um, I'm we have. To be here. Look, I did my research on you. We have some FBI information on you. Look, you're a native of Syracuse, Utah. Um, born. I'm not even going to try to say what you're born with. Do you want to tell people? Uh, this is this is a very. I think I'm it'd not be a funnier doctor. if you try to pronounce it. But yeah, I got you. You want me to say it? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to murder it. Okay, this is how you guys know I'm an athlete. Let's hear it. Hunter was born with fibular hemicongenial. Dif- he was born with the defect. Fibular humilia. A congenital Fibular bone deficiency. Hemolilia. Even you even said it and I still can't say it. It's all right. Uh, uh, well, basically, is that a birth defect? Yeah, it's a birth defect. And it's what? It's really rare. So it's one every few thousand babies. Um, so it doesn't come up very often. So I'm not like totally surprised you don't know it. A little disappointed, but I'm not going <laughs> to hold it against you. Um, and basically I know, especially what it since is, I follow you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't say that much. Um, it's like I'm missing like my fibula in both of my legs. So my lower limbs, I don't have that. My ankles were fused, which means it's just there's no movement there. I had nine toes, which I feel like is a little bit like of a flex more than anything. And they were just crooked, just bad, just all over the place, just like not great. That is just, you just dumped it. I'm never going to complain again about anything in life. You just literally just, I mean, I had a birth defect too. It was a a spinal defect, but dang, you literally are uh, just... Oh, I have nothing else to say. The show's a wrap. <laughs> we're good. Yeah, I mean, let's head home. Let's be out of here. I know. How so when this happened, like how how old were you? Like you were obviously you were born with it, but then mm-hmm. how long before you started with the the you know, you said you don't have your lower legs, you you're an amputee obviously because you compete in the Paralympics, but yeah. w- when did this process all start? Like this is I mean, this has got to be heavy. I mean, yeah. I so, mean, you look for people that don't know you because I kind of know you. So I know the hunter who's on TikTok, who's on Instagram, and you make these hilarious, funny, heartwarming videos. So yeah. even though you just drop something very heavy, it's like you really show people on a day to day basis what it's like to live uh, with what you've gone through and just the knowledge that you provide on a daily basis. It, it educates a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I think that's like the kind of where I've found my purpose and where I've found like enjoyment in what I do is like I've been through a lot of hard things. And for me, like through that process, I've realized and I've met with and experienced a lot of other people that have also gone through hard things. I think like in life, like everyone goes through things, same with you, like with your birth defect. And like, obviously that's not the end of the hurdles that you've, you know, went through in your life. And it's like, everyone has these things. And it's all just about like, understanding and relating that we're all humans we all have issues and it's like man if somebody can be comfortable with my situation and things i've been through then i would hope that they would be comfortable with their situation um and it's all just you know it's all connected so i mean no burden is heavier yeah, so, than another but amen to that so when 
the doctors, you know, were with your family and then walking them through that steps, what did they actually, I know you're about to make a pun because that's the type of person you are. <laughs> like what, uh, what did that transfer? I mean, I know originally you had prosthetics before you had, you know, we call them in track and field, the runner blades. That's what most people see now at the Paralympics. But at first you had the, the prosthetic legs. So I, I mean, I'm kind of clueless and you would think I'd be more knowledgeable on this, but like the prosthetic legs, what can you actually do with that activity wise? Like, were you able to do much? Cause I know you played sports growing up as a kid, but like, was, yeah. were you using the prosthetic legs or were you already using the blades? How did that uh, transform? Yeah, for sure. So to like bring it back a little bit. So when I was born, like initially they were just going to try to like cast my legs and put them back into place. And they thought that I would just be able to like. I don't know, walk it off. I don't know. Um, and then after <laughs> walk like, it off. a few now, walk months, it off. they figured it just wasn't going to happen. So then my parents found some other specialists who suggested amputation. So I got my legs amputated. When At I what was age for the amputation were they suggesting months. that? Wow. So they want to do it right before you start walking. Um, so it's like when you are healed and you get those prosthetics and you can kind of follow that um, natural progression of life and like learn to, to walk like that. So they do it pretty early. So 15 months old is when I got my first pair of prosthetics. And like, we're like you're talking about, I started walking and learning to live with just like a normal prosthetic, which is basically just like, uh, a cast around my lower limb and then, uh, like a prosthetic foot connected to that. So, um, up until I was in like fifth grade, that's all I used. And I used that for basketball, football, soccer, literally any sport I did. So, um, they're not like, but like how functional was that though? Because they're, when I think of a prosthetic leg, I think of a very stiff kind of like, not like yeah. compared to the blades, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's like a, it's like a doc Martin inside of a, like a broken foot boot. You know what I mean? Like it's very <laughs> stiff. So there's not a lot of movement. There's not, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you do the best with what you have. And for me, it's like, it's all I've ever had. So I was like, man, this, this must be what everybody else is dealing with too. Um, and what, what, what sports did you play with those prosthetic legs growing up? Oh man, we played everything. So basketball, football, um, I wrestled, did soccer, baseball. Wrestled? Yeah, I just kind of tried everything. So I had two older brothers. I have to ask this question. I mean, I don't know if it, I, the teacher always says there's no stupid questions. There's like, none. Did you ever have that moment where you're playing hard in a competition and one of your legs comes off? Oh, all the time. Are you kidding me? Yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> and then what do your competitors do? Like, what would you do? What was your reaction? Man, like back then, I, I was not like the self-confident person that I am today. So I was like very like embarrassed about it. Um, the only time that I was like proud to like have my leg come off is when I was a kid. I used to like swing on the swings, you know, and mm -hmm. I would like try to kick my leg off and see like how far I could get it. And other people thought that was pretty neat. But other than that, yeah, I was pretty embarrassed. And I would just like kind of throw it back on and try to move on with it. So so even with your brothers in school, you were still getting bullied. They didn't kind of like, uh, I guess they were probably in different grades. They probably didn't have time to have your back or yeah, so that was, not around. So my oldest two brothers are three years apart. And then my middle brother, he's four years older than me. So every time I would go to like a new school, he would go to a new school. So in elementary, he was in junior high. When I went to junior high, he went to high school. So he was always like Got one you. year oh. outside for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was really like kind of on my own especially in fifth and sixth grade. Like I didn't really have any friends or anyone that I was really like tight with. So it was kind of just like solo. So I have a couple of icebreaker questions. So what stereotype do you completely live up to? 
Uh, just that's an icebreaker. Jeez, that's a loaded icebreaker. Gosh, yeah. that's like that's like if you're on a first date and it's like the person is just asking, "Oh, are you a Republican or Democrat?" That is a loaded. That is, what stereotype do you completely live up to? Go ahead, Hunter. I'm just gonna keep it simple with where I was at. I would say like the dad joke stereotype. Like, ah. I, I, I live up to like goofy, goofy dad jokes. Not very funny. What do you say, babe? Huh? Nah. Yeah, she agrees. No, I don't. <laughs> I got to go over some of your stats, Hunter. Uh, you made your first world championships team in 2015, earning a silver and bronze in the 400 and 200, respectively. I mean, in 2016, you made your Paralympic debut in Rio, and you won a silver medal in the 200 and a bronze in the 400. Do I have to keep going on your stats? You got a ton of them. In 2017, you became the first double amputee to earn a Division One track and field scholarship. The first ever. That alone, like, I got more respect for that than any of your Paralympic medals. Like, you are running against dudes with legs. You are, you are a double amputee <laughs> and held it down getting the first scholarship to yeah. a D1 university. I mean, it, now I'm pissed LSU didn't recruit you. I'm super pissed. Um, yeah, no, and, no, no real, like, SEC school besides Arkansas recruited me, but uh, what? story for another Mad day. respect to them. Mad yeah. respect for that. Uh, yeah. And then a freshman year, uh, your freshman year at the University of Arkansas, Woodall competed in the SEC division alongside able-bodied runners, and you held it down. And through the three years as a Razorback, you have become a four-time All-American. And I, if you don't know what that means in track and field, that means you have made it to the finals at the NCAA track and field championships, which is a huge honor. It means one of your, you're one of the best collegiate athletes, and you are a double amputee, which is insane. Um, and in 2021, you foregoed your last year as a senior of NCAA eligibility and you turned professional. That's how good you are. Uh, so we got to talk about the latest Olympic and Paralympic news because you already have experience. You've already competed in Rio. Obviously, this Olympics and Paralympics is going to be quite different with the COVID protocols. So I got to get your intake. How do you feel about some of these new twists and how do you think it's going to affect you and your competing and your experience as a returning Paralympic athlete? So let's just kind of go over some of the things that they have. So here are some of the new plot twists for the Paralympic Games. Athletes cannot hug or high five. Athletes cannot play tours. First off, athletes never really play tours, so yeah. scratch, we don't really care about that one. <laughs> I can answer yeah. that one for you. Yeah, um, athletes <laughs> must wear masks at all times unless they're eating, drinking, sleeping, training, or competing. Um, athletes are expect expected to be masked. And then the last one, vaccines will be available, but they're not required. So what about this hugging? Are you a hugger? I'm a big Hunter? hugger. Yeah, for sure. I love hugs. Um, high fives? You can't high five the person. Let's say you win gold. You can't even high five the person who got silver or bronze. That's a standard. That's the standard respect after a race. What are you going to do? Like air five? Come yeah. on. That's not going to happen. Someone's <laughs> you can... naturally. You're going to be so excited. People that win those medals at the Paralympic Games are going to be so excited. They're definitely going to hug. Yeah, you can set up a Zoom after the race and hug there. But <laughs> not, during, not during. Not during. <laughs> Um, that uh yeah, there's a 99% chance that's going to get broken. Yeah. Athletes cannot play tours. I don't even whoever made that rule does not know athletes. Athletes first off are super lazy uh when they compete yeah. and don't even like to just go outside the village anyways. They're trying to like rest up for their competition. I legitimately don't think I left the village a single time 
before I competed in Rio, obviously other than like going to the actual facility, like the track to, to train and stuff, but mm-hmm. just like going out, not a single time. What is not on this list is the fact that, uh, you know, they're continually have this debate if there's going to be uh, spectators. What would that mean for you if there's not family uh, in the stands? Like, is that going to be a hard adjustment for you to compete? Is that where you get your energy from or are you kind of used to that? Um, I think either way, like, I feel like we've been through so much through COVID that like nothing's going to surprise me at this point, like going through the collegiate nothing's season gonna break you. with no fans, like a lot of these pro meets with no fans, like no family around. So I think it's been challenging and I definitely think it won't be as like fun or rewarding. Cause like when I look back to Rio, probably like the most fond memory I have is like being able to share like the medals and things with my family after you know, competing yeah. and being able to see them and point to them and just like having that moment together. So I think it definitely takes a little bit of the experience away, but as far as like competing, like regardless of what the rules are, like I'm going to go out there and do whatever I have to do, you know? So this is a little stat that I learned. Um, I don't know if you've uh, heard or watched the documentary Phoenix Rising. Yeah. Have you seen uh-huh. it? Have you watched it? It's incredible, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, one sports great. Emmy or something like that. Um, in it, it talked about how, uh, the in Rio, the Paralympic athletes uh, and their competitions actually had more spectators on any day on than the actual Olympic Games. Did you know that? Yeah, I heard that stat. Yeah, I heard it. That's um, insane. That means you guys brought more people in on, I forget what specific days, than the actual Olympic Games. Um, and so... For when I'm asking you about what's it going to be like to compete without spectators, most people who think of Paralympics probably think, oh, well, you know, the stadium's probably already half empty. They're they're probably used to that. But you guys brought in more than the actual Olympic Games. So I thought that was a cool little stat. Um, you guys are just representing. So um, yeah, that I, did. Uh, go ahead. I was Sorry. just going to say, I, just like on that note, I think the the Paralympics, I think the, um, and again, this is nothing against Olympics. I think they do a really amazing job. Like, I think it's great. But me with my bias talking about the Paralympics a little bit, I think they do a really great job at like being inclusive. And I think like that's the message of the Paralympics. And it's like a lot of those people who come and watch, it's like, it's, it's very inviting. It's not like there's, we're not better than anyone. So I think there's a lot of like, community around the Paralympics and it's just like all the stories that come out of you know the Paralympics and the things people have been through I think it's very relatable like um just kind of being able to see the struggles and the things that people have been through and where they're at now um well it's definitely more inspiration I mean if you think about all the stories I mean everyone's overcoming to just even do things that sometimes others take for granted. I mean, the stories are just iconic and you can just draw encouragement off of them. And so I think that that's why, I mean, I personally love watching the Paralympic Games. So um, the emotion is just so raw and real. And um, man, I just, I'm excited to watch you guys compete coming up. Yeah, me too. And I will say on that note, I, I mean, this is, yes, I will be sad if people, if my family and friends can't be there to watch me, but I will be more sad if I'm not able to watch Tara compete in Tokyo. Like, I really, really, yeah. really want to be there. Like, I think I can be on my own when I compete, but it's going to be really tough if we can't. Yeah, you got to be there to be do there that for... second, second fake proposal, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See? And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty. 
preferably with something that's useful, like Cashback Match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback you've earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Hunter, is there anything else that you want to share news-wise? Man, hot off the press. Let's see. Okay, I'm just going to spitfire some things. Uh, yes, my clothing do line, it. giant hoodies coming into wintertime. It's about to get cold, so definitely check that okay, out. Okay, Hunter, I'm, I'm actually mad about this clothing line because you. it's called giant hoodies. And you yep. know I have gained 30 pounds for bobsled. I'm literally, you follow me on Instagram, I follow you. And where's my giant hoodie? It's on the way, actually. It's funny you ask. Okay. Like, it's like in the air right now. They look now. super comfortable. They look they super, super I want one. I'm okay, you so some. you got the hoodies. I, hoodies Hoodies are doing great. Um, just did the Paralympic trials, made Tokyo. So Tokyo's hot off the press. Um, and then other than that, it's just like the social media. Check out the social medias. Everything kind of rolls yeah, out Yeah, how do you, I got to ask. Time. I really just got to ask this. How do you stay up with the the TikToks? I mean, I sound like a 40. I almost say I'm 40. Okay, damn. It's just, I just itched myself to Hunter. We're going to edit that out. Anyways, how do you, how do you stay up with the TikTokos? <laughs> Uh, man. No, for real though, because I train, I train and I'm exhausted after yeah. training and you literally put on these f- like full on one minute movies that are so inspirational and funny. Like you have what, uh, over a million followers on TikTok. Is that correct? Uh, I think like two million, two, two and a half million. Get there. out. Yeah, wow. Wild. It's really wild. That is wild. Yeah, it's, um, it's, your videos it's crazy. are incredible though. Like if you follow, like check out his TikTok. It is insane. There's they're just incredible, and you do it all on your own. No one else edits. You do all the edits. You do your editing for YouTube, all of it. So how do you do it after training for a long day? Like how? Uh, for me, like it's it's something that kind of pulls me away from training. Like as you know, like when you're especially like in training camps and really like intense training cycles, it's like it can be really hard to get your mind away from that. So it's like when and I finish a it. training session to be able to kind of take myself away from track and focus on something else. Um, and a lot of this is more like mental energy than like physical energy. Yeah, absolutely. It, it yeah. Really you're sitting help. there editing. I got to I got to ask, what was a TikTok that just blew up? What was your most viewed TikTok and why, what was it about? Uh, my most viewed TikTok ever, I think has 40 million views and it was oh a video. It was one of my indoor races. Um, it was actually the race that qualified me for the finals at the SEC championships. And like they shot the gun and like right after they shot the gun, someone blew an air horn in the crowd. So I thought it was a recall gun and I was on the far outside. So there was no one outside of me. So I stopped running and like, as everyone passed me, I realized like the race is still going. So I re tried to accelerate and I ended up like winning the race. So it was just like commentating over that and showing Dang. that race. Yeah. And it was like 40 million views, 40 million. Wow. Yeah. Ridiculous. Okay. Well, mind. follow me on TikTok. I got like, uh, five followers. Thanks Hunter. About to be six. <laughs> About to be six. Got Hello. Hunter. Follow me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Amazing. Welcome back. I'm here with Hunter Woodhall and we're going to dive deep in to the emotional vault. Hunter, what is your biggest success? Biggest success? Um, man, I think success is tough to measure, but for me, like what I'm most proud of is definitely um, becoming a collegiate athlete 
competing division one and like power five. That was, that was huge for me. And it was probably like, besides really early in my life, like times that I could remember and, and really be cognizant of what's going on around me. Like, I don't think there's been a time where more people have told me that it's not possible than running division one and running power five. Um, yeah. one, just because no one had ever done it. No one really knew the process of it. And two, like coming through high school, like I was nowhere near fast enough to be competing at a power five level. And it was just like, so clear to kind of see the, the disbelief that that was going to be possible. And then just being able to share that, like, especially with my mom and dad, like the pride that they had and being able to kind of do that for them was, was really special for me. So but you're kind of used to overcoming impossible odds just because, right, when you're born, didn't the doctor say you would never run, correct? Yeah, I said I would never walk, yeah. I mean, that was, Never that walk? Was, that was the initial and thing. And I was like, I credit that to my parents. Like, I mean, I don't remember that. I don't remember being told that. And I think, like, if my parents had taken that information and been like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, our, our child is probably not going to be able to do all these things and just kind of given up on me. Like, I probably would have given up on myself. But they really instilled that in me at a young age of, like, Hey, we're not going to take this. We're not going to listen to these people. We're not going to do any of this. Like, you got to believe in yourself. And they would push me to do things that, you know, I maybe wasn't comfortable with doing. And they would always say, like, it's not that you can't do it. It's you might have to find a different way to do it. And that was always the way I was I was raised. So I think it just kind of carried through until now, really. So you you turned something that would absolutely crush and defeat someone and turned it into like one of the most amazing victories, becoming the first w, double amputee to get a D1 scholarship. Would you say that that is like the mountaintop for you? Like, did you feel like that's like one of the ultimate successes? Because no one's ever done that before, but you. So yeah. how did that feel? I mean, obviously, was that like, the highest of the high peak, just overcoming something that you literally have paved the way for so many more that will come after you. Yeah, definitely. I think that was definitely like a big peak for me. And like you said, it's like, you said, I took something that would have destroyed other people. And I like, I want to make it very known that it did destroy me. Like it put me in like the lowest of lows. I was at rock bottom. Like I was at a point where I didn't even want to live. So it's like, I came from the very bottom and that was kind of like that pinnacle of like, man, I finally made it. And I think it's so important to know because like, I'm sure you've seen this a lot too. Like people will see you when you're at the top or when you do that thing or when you're on game day and everything's going right, but they don't see the years of things that happened before that, the hard work, the, the low times, the depression, like all of these things that you had to get through to get there. And they're like, man, maybe I'm at that low point. Maybe I'm at rock bottom and they can't see a way to get to where they want to be the way to the top. And I think understanding and making that connection that like, me, you, and a lot of other really successful people have been to that place and, and maybe go back from time to time. And, you know, that's just, there's such a possibility of overcoming and continuing and following your dreams and making it happen, even when it seems like really out of reach. When it's all over. That's so well said. I mean, I had my teammate Kaylee Humphreys on and she's a three-time Olympic gold medalist. So I, I would probably have to edit this out. I don't know because of the order, but um, uh, we were arguing over my podcast uh, name because it's gold medal loser and she's won so much Kaylee's won so much she didn't really understand it you know and like for me and you losing is like not something that's necessarily a bad thing for us for me I I look at losing as motivation as fuel for my fire and you just said it like it doesn't mean I wasn't crushed it doesn't mean I wasn't broken but you use that and now look at you you're 
breaking records. You have made history. You have, uh, you know, paved the way for so many others after you. So you're absolutely a champion in my mind. Uh, and I just love your story. Super inspired by it. I hope other people are as well. I appreciate that. I think it's pretty funny. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you didn't follow my time in Rio, but um, so I won a bronze in the 400, right? And then going into the four by one, we were the world leaders. We ran the race, won the race, broke the world record, had a gold medal. We're like doing our victory lap and then going into the tunnel, like doing our interviews. Like the first question they asked was, hey, how do you guys feel now that you've been DQ'd? That was what we heard. So we literally like lost the gold medal. So it's really funny. It's just like gold medal loser. Like that's this guy Oh, too, so you so. like my... Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Right so well, for you. me, it's, I mean, you kind of know my story as yeah. well. Like, I uh, was competing in Rio. I'm not for Rio. Lies. <laughs> Beijing. I'm old. Shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> I was competing in Beijing, hit the hurdle, mm-hmm. and it cost me Olympic gold. And that fueled me to go on to compete in the Summer and Winter Olympics, uh, yeah. which is something that only a few people have done. Also, I mean, I have so many gold medals for world championships, but, you know, I don't have that coveted Olympic medal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, you got to lose to win. You, yeah. you, at one point, you're going to hit rock bottom. At one well point, said. you're going to fail. At one point, you're going to come up short. And you got to use that to get your wins because it is huge motivation. Yeah, so um, I'm so glad you shared your story. I didn't know you guys got DQ'd. Wow. Yeah. One step on the line, one foot on the line. Who's the person that got the step on the line? Hey, it's it's a team effort. It wasn't you. I'm not going to call anybody. It was you. No, it was not me. No. (laughs) Oh, it was not you. No. Okay, well, we'll move on to the next subject because you might have to run with them again very soon (laughs) in Tokyo. (laughs) I would be blessed. I'd love a spot. So we've talked about your successes, Hunter. We got to talk about your failures. Uh, You had mentioned that you it actually did break you being a double amputee it it brought you to a very dark place you said mm-hmm. suicidal how did you navigate those waters like that is i mean we we talked about your stats so it's like you're on the other side of that you have all these great things but what were you even trying to like i don't i can't even wrap my mind around what you were going through yeah it was difficult um i think like the biggest struggle for me was like the question of why and it was like everyone except for me is fine. Like they're not dealing with this. This is my thought process at the time. It was like, what did I do to deserve this? Why am I in this position? Why am I the one who has to deal with this? Why does no one understand? And it was just like, I felt very alone. And it was like, I can't really, I don't have an outlet. I don't have these friends that I feel comfortable enough to talk to. I I don't really feel like I can talk to my parents about it because they're going to feel like it's because of them, because they're the ones who decided to do this. And it was just like a really lonely spot. And for me, it was just like when I was really at that rock bottom spot and I was really just like down on myself and self-confidence was nowhere to be found. It was really trying to figure out like, what am I living for and what's, what's the purpose of this? And I remember sitting like in a bathroom and just like kind of trying to figure out what the purpose was, what I was here for and if it was even worth it. And as I sat there, I kind of thought like, man, if I'm going to, go and I'm going to leave and I'm not going to be here anymore. Like, let me make sure I know what I'm leaving behind. And I just kind of thought, what do I have right now? And I, the first thing is like, I have a family that loves me. Like they know I'm missing my legs. They know what's going on and they love me for it. I was like, I have a roof over my head. And then every single night, like I don't have to worry about where my food's coming from. Like I have food on my plate. And those were the three things that really like pushed me forward. And I said, maybe I don't have a lot, but I have something. 
and I'm going to work on that. And then moving forward, it was just every day of like appreciating the little things and trying to find ways that I could, you know, build myself confidence, find things that I loved about myself and then find other people that could appreciate those things in me. Um, and moving into junior high is kind of when I was coming out of that. And I did find a few friends who could really like see me as Hunter, not see me as the kid without legs. And I think it was just like probably two to five year process of just like really finding people and, and building out a team in my life of people who supported and loved me just for who I was. Dang. Like, that's a very good reminder for me to be just grateful for the little things. I definitely overlook that. And uh, I've struggled in the past with, you know, depression, mental health issues. And so I think that's a great feedback for anyone out there who's just kind of you get sucked into this big picture, you know, and you lose sight of your small blessings. And so I think that that's really powerful. Yeah. And I mean, another thing is like, it's not like a one and done thing. And I'm sure you understand this too. Like, they always say like things get better and things do get better. Things always get better, but it's like understanding that there's always highs and lows. Like Tara and I are big proponents of like mental health and, and Tara has been very open about, you know, kind of some of the mental struggles she's gone through. And it's like, there are days where it, you're not going to feel great. And it's like, that's why it's so important to find those people who genuinely really care about you and love you and want to see you succeed. So you can, you know, kind of bounce off those people. And it's like, Tara and I are very much those people for each other. So when she's down, like I try my best to, to be there for and support her and, and vice versa for, you know, when I'm having a hard day. So um, I think it's important to understand, like, it's okay if you're not feeling a hundred percent every single day, it's okay. If you don't feel like you want to go to work or want to go through a training session or, or you know, do those things. So um, it's okay. And it's just about, like you said, just getting through it and finding, you know, kind of the processes and things that kind of, help you get through those those times okay let's wrap things up but first hunter what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received and what's the best advice you've gotten uh worst advice would have to be manage your expectations just like kind of put a ceiling on on what you think is possible i think that's the worst advice ever i think it just like ties people down and makes people like put themselves in this little box of what they can do which is usually like a uh, reflection of whatever the person telling you thinks they can do. Um, so I think mm. that's that's pretty horrible advice. Shoot for the stars. And I can't believe someone's told you that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, all the time. So it's like, don't get your oh, hopes yeah, up. I guess, that yeah. kind of thing. You know, it's like, eh, I'm going to get my hopes up and I'm going to make it happen. Uh, nice. Best advice would have to be um, less, less advice and more of just like a mantra. It's just like, um, it's only crazy until you do it. I think that's really, mm-hmm. really great. And it's like a lot of times the ideas and the things we think we want to do or, or we're trying to accomplish are going to seem crazy to other people until it happens. And then once you do it, no one's going to tell you it's crazy. So I think that's that's a good, good little mantra to follow. I love those. Those are amazing. I mean, definitely not going to take that worst advice for sure. Uh, yeah. You're not going to cap me. Yeah. I got no feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna live on planet Mars. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm, I'm hey, I'm not even gonna tell you to manage your expectations there. Our boy Elon, he's <sighs> he's working on it. Okay, I'm just gonna keep believing that I'm gonna beat Usain Bolt. Thank you for that. <laughs> Maybe a bobsled. <laughs> I mean, 
Ah, there you go. You are really good at these uh, quick wits. Got it. Uh, well, Hunter, thanks so much for joining me today and providing so much well-needed inspiration. Um, and always remember, a failure isn't a failure if it prepares you for success tomorrow. That's one of my favorite quotes. Let's and go. Advice. I love that. Yeah, it's sick. Thank you for uh, joining us. And thank you again for the inspiration. Thanks, Lala. I had a blast. I really did. This is this was super fun. Awesome. Bye.